the Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 159, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the oneouter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash oneouter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, Merry Christmas. You are back. We just tried to record this episode. The last episode, <laughs> the last episode for full disclosure, uh, the last episode of 2017, and I just realized like seven minutes in, for some reason, the recording software had stopped recording the call. So this is our second run at it. So we will just do it as it comes fresh again, Alex. Um, how was your Christmas? Go into as much of it you can be bothered repeating as you want. <laughs> and uh, we can talk a little bit about New Year's and stuff like that. And uh, let's take it from there. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I was doing good up until the Grinch stole my podcast. But yeah, yeah now, I'm, now I'm doing fine. Uh, Christmas was great. I, uh, uh, on Christmas day, I, my girlfriend went into work in the morning, uh, cause we weren't, we did a whole family thing on Thanksgiving. We went down to Richmond, Virginia and what we saw my, uh, my uncle and aunt and, uh, some of my cousins. So that was our big family shindig and that was all the cooking and the food and, uh, stuff along those lines. It, Christmas we for whatever reason we just ended up staying home she picked up a shift on christmas for time and a half and uh yeah actually it turned out pretty well while she was working i decided i'm gonna go for a jog and i hadn't gone for a jog in two months but the best day to jog is christmas day because everybody's at home with their family so you just get the run of the town and pardon the god awful pun uh, but it, it was really fun to, it, it was very fun to go to North Queens and see the industrial part and to go around and be able to see everything without worrying about a card, uh, without worrying about a car leaving me in several pieces on the side of the street. And that was really nice. I ended up running a little further than I meant to. Uh, because I hadn't run in a long time. And when you do that, you feel like, oh, I've got so much energy, I can do this. And then the next day I said, I cannot do this anymore. <laughs> <That's right again. laughs> oh, my God, that hurt. But, uh, uh, yeah, other than that, when she got home, uh, I limped to the family room, and uh, we, we opened up Christmas presents from our family and uh, from each other. Uh, I... I got a couple for her that I was very proud of, uh, which I feel a little more private. So I guess, I guess I shouldn't retell them, which means I probably shouldn't have started this sentence. So we're going to move further. And my mom sent me a, which I thought this was the cutest gift ever. I, I started watching a lot of CFL football because I was just so fascinated by it because it's such an aggressive form of football. And I, the Canadian fans are so into it. And my mom sent me a Winnipeg Blue Bomber shirt because I kept watching those games when she was with me in Arizona. And I love that team because they're the loudest crowd and uh, kind of a small city that's really into them. Or not a small city, but I, they, they, they're not one of the powerhouses in the CFL the last few years, and I just love their gumption. So that was pretty neat. My mom got me a coffee machine, a Keurig machine, which I never thought I wanted until... Right before I had to listen to Barry, I was able to get a black coffee, so that was very nice. And 
Yeah, it was a uh, the Christmas season was really fun. I kept working throughout it, uh, just just because. Well, I'm not really with my goals coming up uh, this year. I'm not really in a position I can take a whole lot of time off and feel good about it. So I just decided to work, and when I did have time, I try I tried to treat myself well. I went to my girlfriend's studio and I took a lot of classes there over the break while I was in Queens, which was really fun. I got to go to one of her classes. I lifted weights. I ran. Uh, Honestly, that felt like a Christmas gift to myself. Without sounding like that fitness snob, that was a real Christmas gift to myself because I just have unbearable anxiety (laughs) if I don't work out. And even if it's just something simple, like just doing some squats or going for a long walk. It seems to do a lot for my mental clarity. And that's been, that was really helping me a lot. I, I got to go to, uh, I got to go to one of Dillinger escape plans last shows. They had all three lead singers come up, which was really exciting. The two good ones sang, the not so good one just talked. So that worked out pretty well. Uh, and Mike Patton, and this is going to mean nothing to anyone, but for the three Dillinger Escape Plan fans listening to this, Mike Patton with Dillinger Escape Plan played the entirety of their EP together, which was amazing, and the live show was incredible. I uh, I got thrown into the mosh pit at one point, and I had to mosh my way out of there, so I'm a little sore today. I uh, was a little banged up on the subway going back uh, to Queens. But all in all, that was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see that band before they called it a day. So, yeah, uh, Christmas season has been wonderful. How's how's yours been, Barry? It sounds like yours has been packed. Yeah, it's been fun, yeah. Um, Well, I can hear myself back, Alex. I will mute myself. You just insert the uh uh-huh's, okay? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay. And... Well, what it is, is really, really, really just family time for me. I was cooking for seven of us on Christmas Day, did all the cooking, um, so I was running back and forward from the kitchen, checking that I wasn't ruining anything, keeping an eye on all the times, etc. And to be honest, I've done it for years and years now. I sort of took over from my gran uh, cooking. But I had brothers and sisters up, some of them, not all of them, and then other family came up at night. And then the next few days after Christmas were just spent meeting up with uh, family on my fiancé's side and just kind of taking it easy. And that's what my plans are over the next few days as well. New Year, I just, I've always been anti-New Year. So I'll just be in the house chilling, maybe have a couple of drinks. That's the thing, I don't even really drink much anymore. So... Even when it comes to New Year, unless there was like a lot of people up here and I was feeling super up for it, then I might, you know, get drunk. But apart from that, I'll probably drink, you know, a few drinks. And I eat too much now to get drunk. Uh, that's the thing. If I want to get drunk, i got to have an nice. empty stomach and then just drink and make it my... That's the, This is why I'm there. I'm drinking to get drunk. And I just don't do it anymore. It's just not... It, I don't know, it's just not in me, it's not there, or whatever, the desire is not there, if it happens, it happens, you know, and um, yeah, I do not miss the hangovers, the last time I was drunk bad was this year at my sister's wedding, and the next day, I oh, it was just horrendous, and it gets worse and worse as you get older, and I just couldn't be bothered with it anymore, so New Year plan, it'll be open house invite to my family and closer friends, and anybody that comes up is welcome, and we'll have a few drinks, and we'll see what state we end up in, sort of thing. But no plans to venture out the house. And then into January, um, I'm going to take like a couple of days of just watching old films, such as I don't know, like Indiana Jones trilogy, all the original Superman films, Star Wars, etc. That's just a tradition. Get that done, and then it will be yeah, pretty much like yourself into work mode. I got a few ideas and a few plans I want to do this coming year that I'm already working on and stuff. So just looking forward to to getting started with that again and you know getting another year and play more poker. Play more live poker is one of my goals for next year as well. I did play. Yeah. I, play I played more live poker in the last year than I have in the last 
four years combined or something probably. So that's good. There's a good event in I think it's around the twentieth of January or twenty fifth of January. Literally five minute walk from my house. Twenty five thousand guaranteed, like two hundred buy in. Good game. So I'll play that uh, to start it off, and we'll see how we're going. I plan on coming to Vegas this year as well, so um, we'll try and do that round about when Alex is there for the meet up. Um, and apart from that, we'll just see how see how the year develops. I was talking about it with Alex before. I think it was either before the show or on the last one that was cut short by by the Grinch, as Alex said, stole the podcast. But um, I was just saying the thing about you know sort of wanting to play more poker is just uh, it's a really it's it's a, it's a good thing to want to do. But don't have if you're goal setting, don't have monetary goals. It's always you either say you say oh, I want to make thirty thousand next year from poker or whatever it is you're doing. You, if you then make 20,000, which might be great, considering how many games you played or whatever, let, let's keep it you know, poker-related, but then you'd beat yourself because you've picked this arbitrary 30,000 out the air and just stuck that, so you wouldn't, oh, I've not really met my goal. Whereas you could say 30,000, then you could crush it, and you don't even feel, well, whatever, why limit yourself? So just sort of... Trust the process, make good decisions, etc. Poker, business, life, whatever, and whatever monetary crap, whatever you're left with at the end of the year or the end of the next year, um, is is what it will be. And I, I think that's better rather than having your self-esteem attached to like monetary goals. I just I don't think they work. Um, I've made them in the past and smashed them, and I've made them in the past and not met them and. Either is not a great situation, so I don't know what your take on that, Alex, is. I never really... All my goals are process-related. What is my process? And wherever it takes me from that point, I, I can't really control. That's from That's from poker. If... I play bang up no limit hold'em, I can lose my ass off for six months and then I can go out and get I don't drink anymore, but I could go get pissed drunk and play terrible and win a, a daily tournament for sixty thousand. That's the industry I live in. So yeah. not necessarily your pro, your process is the only thing you can control because over the long run that's likely what's going to get you results. And I, I do believe there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. I don't, I don't buy that it's just your opinion, man. I, I think if you want to play the best poker of your life, you have to take care of your body. I think you don't get to drink and smoke pot as much as other people. And I, I don't think... I tell people all the time, like, I had problems with drugs and alcohol. One of, one of the first reasons I stopped doing it is it was just such a problem. In the work, studying in the morning, if you were just a little groggy from that kind of junk. And eventually, you know, nine months went by. I, I wasn't into it. And then uh, I just kept up with it. And now it's been, it's been a while. And something, not that I haven't been tempted or anything, but... When you go down that road, you know, things are going to go a certain way. Nobody ever says, I started smoking pot again. It totally turned my career around. <laughs> That's not something I've heard before. Uh, I've heard the opposite, which was, yeah, I used to be an assistant to a professor at a university. Now I pump gas. Like, I've heard that one a number of times. So I'm just going with the law of averages here. Uh, in all my, like, I'll give you my New Year's goal is... I actually wrote it, I wrote it down recently, which was, I wrote develop, period, that, period, gear, period. Develop that gear. And what I mean by that is, I, I just saw this documentary with Jim Carrey. Have you seen this on Netflix, Barry? Yeah, it's yeah, excellent. It's excellent, right? And I, by the way, I don't watch Hollywood movies. I think most of them are garbage now. I don't like superhero movies. Uh, I find most actors and actresses to be pretty horrendous at their jobs, clearly picked for looks. Uh, and if you tell me this person's a method actor, I'm really going to laugh at you. 
I, I just, I find, I find myself less and less interested with the arts as I get older because I find it very pretentious and popularity contest driven. And I feel like there's a lot, sorry, this is going to sound like old man Fitzgerald, but I feel like they don't make as many good movies anymore. When was the last time you saw a movie like Speed? Right or like even just like garbage action movies, they don't make as well. Mm -hmm. They don't. They just don't make good movies, and I'm not into that. And when this movie was talking about Jim Carrey's process making Man on the Moon, which is a fantastic movie from was it 1998 or something like that. I think it's earlier, maybe, but yeah. I think I think it's uh yeah in the 90s. And it's from that era of movies I really enjoyed. And if you watch that movie, Jim Carrey is just magical in it. And he gets... The the thing I didn't realize until I saw that movie is Jim Carrey was on the entire time he did that movie. He was in character on the set the entire time. And he was driving everybody crazy because he was Kaufman. And what he got out of everybody was an incredible performance. He got that out of other people because he pushed things to the limit, much like his subject would have. And I just sat there marveling that this guy had developed that gear. He could be, and he's talking in this documentary about how he was homeless in Canada with his family, dirt poor. And he got out of that because, and he's talking about this, place he would go in his mind where he would have to let somebody else take over, someone who wasn't scared of criticism, somebody who could roll with the punches. And I was just enraptured, I think is the right word. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't turn away from this documentary. And unfortunately, it seems to have really led Mr. Carey to a pretty dark place because I don't, I think he, honestly, I think he set monetary goals. I think he thought once I cash, the famous Jim Carrey stories, he wrote a check for himself for $10 million and put it in his wallet, and he cashed it at one point. And that, I do believe there is something to that of saying maybe not a specific monetary goal, or if you do want to set a specific monetary goal, that's fine, but you're going to have to be fine with yourself if you don't get there. Because the real reward is the process that took him there. The real, the real reward is he's one of very few people who's gotten an Oscar and we go, yeah, he deserved it. He, he delivered a performance for the ages. He, there is no asterisk next to it, his name. There, he did not pick a subject that he knew the Academy would love. He went in, and he showed up, and he delivered. And he developed that gear in order to do so. Now, that was his reward. The money's secondary. But if you put the money first, as you would with a monetary goal, I I think that's putting the cart before the horse. The money's supposed to be a side effect. And quite frankly, this year I've been getting by. I haven't been doing terrific. I I think in my personal life, I've made great strides. I have a really great relationship with my girlfriend. I have really good friends. I have a really good social life. I've done a lot of things that I'm really happy about. I'm really healthy. I've really taken care of my health. I've made strides outside of my job. But uh, the move here was a little rougher than I expected. And quite honestly, it was because I just wasn't in that zone in my head where the Warren Buffett thing applies, which is what is the best use of your time right now? I was getting dragged down by certain things constantly that I didn't need to worry about. If I had really trusted God uh, and used that to help me trust myself, I wouldn't have been in that place. But instead I I ran around like a chicken with its head cut off, barely making ends meet. And it wasn't until I got to the gym and started just, it doesn't matter how crappy you feel, you're going to lift these weights, and started feeling like, oh my God, this lethargy is just burning off my mind, and I'm feeling a lot better. And I was undoing all the damage I had done to myself mentally and physically. 
that's when I started seeing like this gear is possible. And the thing about being in that gear is it's not as hard as it looks. It just means like it sounds really intimidating. Sorry, you you got me on something I've been thinking about a great deal. If you can't tell, but uh, it's in my notebooks. It's actually something I've been writing in my notebooks just recently. But there, it sounds like a lot when I tell you I work fifty hours a week, and I work five days a week because my weekends are for maintaining my social life and restoring sanity to myself. Now that sounds like a lot, but all I'm doing is one thing at a time. To be in that gear all the time, you just have to be doing one thing because even if you're going slow, you're lapping everybody else who never even tries. So my whole New Year's goal is, in the words of Jack Welch, we were talking about this a bit, uh, my former co-writer on Poker Head Rush, was live your life like a method actor is the way he put it. What would your hero do in this situation? Well, to me, when you're thinking that way and you're doing those things, you're developing that gear. You're in that mode. You're going to that place. And that place exists within your mind, and it can be accessed. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard said one time famously, everybody has within them what it takes to be a champion. The question is, can you access that? Can you find out as most? And that's a day-to-day practice. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. And it has to be, you can't not engage in that. You can't half-ass your finances, half-ass your work, half-ass your relationships. And then when you're at the final table of a WSP circuit event, access that gear. It's a day-to-day thing. If you want the championships, you're going to have to behave like a champion on the subway. You're going to have to be a gentleman when a lady comes in and wants a seat. Because that's how a champion would behave. That's being in that gear. And if you always hold yourself to that standard, your brain will start believing you. Will start going, I am this person. This is why, this is what I actually think all this, like, this secret BS is. It's actualization. It's rewiring your brain. They've proven you can rewire your brain. It it is a process called neurogenesis. Trisha Carter discusses it at length in her books, her very, very excellent books. Uh, And my whole goal is not monetary because the money is a side effect. It'll come or it won't come. I, I can't really control that. What I can control is my behavior, my actions, and I can see that I am maximizing my potential by my input, by what I choose to do every day, treating each day as if it's very important. Because if you think about it, this is my last point, and then I'll let you talk, Barry. Sorry. I put you in podcast jail. Uh, (laughs) I was looking at, I have this tower of books, uh, next to my computer, and I'm just not getting to them lately. My, my life has been really intense since I moved back to the States. There's a lot more going on than before I could coast in Costa Rica because it was a, it was a lot easier to do so. Financially, it was a much different place. Uh, and I was looking at these books, and I was thinking... These books are as good to me as they were in the store. Because you don't really own something if you don't use it, right? If you buy a hundred TV dinners that you're going to use in case of a nuclear apocalypse, and the nuclear apocalypse never happens, like maybe it gave you some peace of mind, but you, you didn't really use it. It wasn't really... It's kind of a failed investment if you think about it. It doesn't... If it gives you peace of mind, that's worth something. But a, a better example would be you buy some strawberries at the fruit stand, 
and you never eat them and they go bad. We all get pissed about that. But when we buy a book and it just sits on our coffee table, so we look intellectual to our friends, but we never crack it open, we don't realize it's worse than if it was in the bookstore, because in the bookstore, it didn't cost us $20 to acquire. And if you have a day you don't use, you didn't really have that day. And if you really didn't have that day, you really didn't have a life. So the only way to have a life is to develop that gear. If you are anxious... You get, everybody's talking about anxiety. Barry and I were talking about this recently. Every, in, you were, you were saying, uh, Barry and I were talking, uh, a bit before this podcast, and he was saying it's like the Biedermannhof phenomenon, I think is what it's called, which is once you start looking for it, you see it in everyone. And, which is, we're all so connected and so on. We're like, you think about a ER surgeon. That used to be the most nervous guy in the room because if his pager went off, it didn't matter if it was his anniversary dinner. He was out of it. So he didn't have a life. And a lot of these texts and calls we get and emails, they take us right out of what we're doing so we're never present for anything. So we're anxious all the time. If you want to get rid of your anxiety, develop that gear. What's something that will overcome that anxiety? Go lift weights. Go to a show that you've wanted to do. Go see something. Go for a walk. Do something. Anything other than action is BS. Otherwise, it's just ruminating, which is absolutely nothing. Nobody has ever become famous because they had a remarkable opinion. If they wrote it down and created a book, that is one thing. If they just talked, it's nothing. So you have to develop that gear and get into your life. That is my entire New Year's resolution. I do not have a monetary goal because like you said, Barry, sometimes you blow it out of the water and you, you always find a way to second guess yourself. Well, I got really lucky with that one deal or there. And then if you don't reach it, you feel like a failure. So it really does seem like a chasing after the win. Yeah. It's the thing about if you're making poker goals that I remember when I was playing, it used to just be things like volume goals, like, right, I'm going to play so many thousand games this month, so many thousand games the next month, and that would be it. And then whatever it becomes, because like you say, with poker and a lot of stuff, even investing, etc., trading, you're making a series of bets that might not pay off until, you know, it's, it's just EV sort of things. You're, you're going for that. And like you say, you might six months of the year, nothing, and then the last day of uh, 2017 win the Sunday Million or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so... It, does that mean that all the rest of the year? But it's only important. All you can control is just playing well, making good decisions, and, uh-huh. and that's it. So um, yeah, good luck to anyone. But I do think making goals is good. But yeah, definitely not monetary goals. And uh, just uh, I think I think it all distills and comes back to if you want the fortune cookie answer or the Christmas cracker answer or whatever. It's like just stay present and that's really what I watch I do just be a bit more present and mm-hmm. just keep working on that because like you say if you're not you're not actually living you know right. it's not a life it's not your life yeah. it doesn't exist it's uh, and uh, if you want to be present guys I do this all the time find five things you see five things you hear that'll get you way more in the moment than you'd realize and yeah those memories mean a lot if you can develop them Anyways, all right, we got yeah. really Christmas special again. Let's get into... Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's New Year. Christmas is over. Yeah, it's a New Year special. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, your life just now, Alex, is to answer the questions that we're about to pose to you from these listeners. Yeah, let's and, uh, do it. The, the first one is from David. After watching Alex's webinar on 3Betting, I think this too. I wanted to ask you guys about something that has seemed to be bothering me when I'm on the felt since I started playing. I'm really good at math, probabilities and counting outs etc. I play weekly in a poker league. I also play a couple times a week at a local casino in their $50 tournament in which I've cashed a few times and got second once. I wanted to get your take on luck. There is a guy that I know that seems to always get the card on the river or hits the 1-5 to outer. I've had a few too, but not as many as this guy does. I know you've been playing this game a lot longer than I have, so I wanted to get your take on it. Have you had similar experiences? 
I'm the worst guy in the world to ask about this because I'm the luckiest person who ever lived. So I'm convinced luck is out there if you want it. Uh, now that sounds, as I just said that, it sounds like a BS statement, but that's truly what I believe. I do, and I've taken a one-outer for over $100,000 on the river for an F-Tops jersey. So if you want to do bad beat stories, I almost always win, Right. But if it, that's a bad beat story within a utopia, which is poker. Poker is incredible. It's this inc- incredibly meritocratic game. And yeah, there's luck in the game, but that's there so everybody can play. It's kind of like a handicap. Like, no one's going to play golf with Tiger Woods and possibly win, but if there was, like, a randomizer, if there was, like, a little motor within the golf ball that threw Tiger Woods' ball different places, and yours kind of did it too, that would make things a little bit more interesting. Would it piss off Tiger Woods? Yes, it would. But I bet he could play cash games for a lot more money that way. He just might have to give away a few games of a soul in the Brunei or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I, I truly believe you will not have success in poker until you believe this. You are one of the luckiest people who has ever lived. The fact you are playing a card game shows, leisurely, shows how lucky you are. 14 out of every 15 people who has been born on Earth is dead. The president of the United States of America 25 years ago did not have the power in Air Force One that you now have in your cell phone. You can read any book at any time, you, t- you can take an Uber to take it anywhere for any price. You can use Airbnb to stay in any city, anywhere on the earth. And you must be from a first world country because you have the free time and money to play cards. That in itself shows you're the luckiest person in the world. And I, I, I tell everybody all the time, I'm the luckiest person you can imagine. I have the greatest job you can imagine. I date women out of my league. Everything goes right for me. And, of course, I don't believe that. There's times where I go, wow, that really sucked. I can't believe that happened. But a really good practice, and they've proven this actually can rewire your mind. Whenever you feel yourself getting up really negative, thank, thank God, thank the universe, whatever you want to thank. Uh, I really don't care which one you pick because it, it, it's not my place to judge. Uh, but think something or just take a second to write down what you're grateful for and say it, it can be little things. It can be memories from 10 years ago. Uh, I had a random memory come up the other day of my mom taking me to pl- play in a toy store when I was a kid and I hadn't thought of it in years. And I was thinking, well, the, you know, thank you, God, or the powers of be for that memory. That was actually pretty pleasant. And it was like I got to experience it again. And it's a, to put it in poker terms, that's great value right there, getting yeah. that kind of return. And just little things like when I'm walking in the cold, I had to stand in a line outside of the Dillinger Escape Plan concert. It was 19 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which is roughly effing cold in Celsius. Uh, but I think it's like negative five in Celsius. Mm-hmm. I had to stand out in a line for 30, 45 minutes. My, I couldn't feel my feet by the time I got in. But I just kept repeating myself, thank God I got this jacket, this really warm jacket, <laughs> because uh, I bet there's some people in the city tonight who don't have that. And that that's the long and the short of it. Now, do other people get luckier in poker? Yeah, there's a hundred. Well, it, it, you... It's so hard to know what that's going to mean for someone in the long run. When I was younger, I used to get so mad about who was luckier than me. And the fact I kept having all these deep runs and I I lost my big flip at my EPT final table. And I didn't get lucky at my Sunday Million final table. And all the, you know, I I got one outed for an F-Tops jersey for... You know, third place was 250, uh, first was 450, and it was for 70% of the chips in play, three-handed. You know, it, it, I used to focus on things like that, but 
at the end of the day, a lot of the people I know who want all that money, it's, uh, it would almost be better if it never happened for them because they got really lazy with their poker game. They played games they probably shouldn't have been playing. And then a couple of years later, it's just gone. And, uh, it, like, this isn't the exception. This is the rule. This is what happens to most poker players, because obviously you won tournament. You're clearly a great poker player. And they play a bunch of tournaments they can't play. Uh, they have no business playing. And then once they go broke or they lose a significant amount of money and they have to sell the house that they had the mortgage on uh, that they can't pay anymore, well, it, it feels like going from playing twenty five fifty to playing five cents. 10 cent and just doesn't give you the rush anymore and then now they got to summon that focus now they have to develop that gear when they've been coasting for three four years it's not there they've gotten lethargic they've usually put on weight and then they just become these sour crybabies that i see at every tournament losing 400k for their backers which is like not saying losing money for your backers a big deal but if if the guy's putting you in 10 K's, but the fact that there's an army of a hundred of them who never seem to pay off their makeup always makes me worried. And it, it, it's yeah. Like certain people are luckier than others. That's the long run takes a long time to get there, but there's certain advantages you have every day. You probably never count on speaking English is a incredible advantage. I've watched so many people I knew from, and I love from Costa Rica who are great people struggle trying to make a life for themselves in a new country because they don't speak English as their first language. And that is a day-to-day struggle every single day. Uh, being young, having your health, uh, all of these things. It, a, a way you want to put it is how much would a blind man pay to have your eyes? How, how much would he pay? Right? Five million dollars? So you possess something worth five million dollars. What? How much money do you think Oprah Winfrey would pay to be your age? Right? <laughs> There's a hundred things you don't realize you're lucky for. So yeah, it, it exists. It's out there. But I think it's focusing on, oh, this jackass hit two outers. Why, is he, why does he always need to hit a two outer? We're missing the forest for the trees here. Why is he always in that spot? And if you're constantly in that spot and you're not getting there, the real question is, why am I in this spot? Why did I have to move all in? Why was I short stacked? What could I have done earlier? Control what you can control. Good luck to you. Yeah, it just reminded me of a great quote there. Um, I can hear myself back, Alex, if you mute it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Um, the, it was in the Tim Ferriss new book, I think, Tribe of Mentors. I've seen a little snippet from it. And I don't know who said the original quote, but it was great. It was like, how much would your future self pay to time travel to go back to like and live this day again, you know, and, and be in this moment again? Damn! And you should you should use that as like a thing. You know, like when you're 60, what would you pay to come back and just do today? Like live today, even just one day sort of thing. And you've got all these days throughout this next year. And like, just think when you're 70, what would you do to come back and live 2018 again? What, how much would you pay? You know, if you were if you were 75 years old and a billionaire, you'd hand over every penny to go and have that year again. I am blown away by this thought, and I have nothing to add. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Well, we've, we've had enough out yeah, anyway. So, uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I, that is one line yeah it's a good one the way you live forever that that might be that line yeah, yeah. wow it's, it really stuck with me yeah it's 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 a good one um okay the next question is from jean noel again who wrote in for the christmas one so i'm reading out his full name because it was very festive it's not his surname though he's a double barrel uh jean noel and he's i have another question on a wet board of 10 8, 7 all spades against an opponent who will call on the flop with 65% of his range, thus his folding range is 35%. If I want to bluff, I want to bet half pot because my bluff needs to work one third of the time to break even. But if I bet for value, I will bet a pot size bet. Do I need to change the size of the bluffing bet or is there some flop where I cannot bluff or, or did I not understand anything? Thanks. 
you're not the one who doesn't understand anything, John Noel. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, let me see if I got this question right. Okay, so if we bet half, I think one of the questions he's asking is, do we need to balance? Uh, which is, I'm betting for value. Should I bet very big there? Because uh, it's it's a board where likely people are going to continue with a lot of their range. A, a 10 or an 8 is going to convince themselves you have a draw, and usually the draw has some combinations there, and they're going to call. So if you're betting for value, it's a good idea to bet big. Now, if you're bluffing, should you bet big there? Now, that's a, that's a valid question. Uh, one, of the, one of my is I do is let's say let's say that board comes ten eight seven uh all spades and or two spades one oh when I think he said so it was like two spades and a club I check the guy checks behind me well if I'm I'm out of position on that board I am leading one point five x pot with almost my entire range on the turn uh you know provided it's not something that dramatically changes things. Uh, like the six of spades, because he's indicated to me he has, uh, I think Matthew Jana calls this a condensed range, which is, it's mostly one pair type hands, because two pair or better would bet really big and try, try to uh, try to get value from their hand and also ward off draws. And if he had nothing, it's a, he probably would have bet too. So when he checks back there, he concentrates it in one pair. So if I'm betting a really good pair, I'm going to bet really big. If I'm betting a draw, I'm going to bet really big because that's a very logical bet versus a range composed of pairs. Now, taking this spot from the original, now he was bringing in some, uh, he was bringing in some numbers that, he he was asking, do I need to bet big with my bluffs as well? It's a, I, I'm going to be honest with you, John Noel, I was kind of lost by your question, so I'm going to try to parse out what I think you were asking, and hopefully it'll provide you some helpful tidbits. So you were saying, okay, so if I bet, uh, I bet half pot, and I think he folds 35% of the time, I've turned a profit there, but if I'm betting with a hand, I bet bigger, does that mean I need to bet bigger? And my answer is always, are you at a table where people are going to notice? Now, this particular situation comes up once every few hundred hands. Considering you're probably going to play 48 hands with these people, I, I think it's really unlikely two of these hands are going to come up uh, when we're talking about tournament poker, of course. And if two of these hands come up, most of the time people will just think, like, if you throw rock at me and then you throw scissors... I don't really know how you're balancing your strategy, <laughs> right? There's a lot of ways that could go. Uh, so, yeah, it's possible somebody could figure out, figure it out. But then the question becomes, do you want to bet on that or against that? We can always imagine the field as a market. And our bets as a short are a bet on what they're going to do, right? Now, if we were betting futures and we were saying you know do you want to bet or whatever right imagine it as a financial instrument i find this helps some people uh but if somebody said i want to bet on people recognizing that you're not balancing there i would bet against them every single day of the week like getting a statistic tracking software improving they're actively changing what they're doing right because the truth is most people play their hand and if they don't really have much of anything, like they do with that 35% of the range you're looking at on Floodzilla, they're just going to fold. They're not, they're not going to go, oh, he's betting half pot now, and he bet full pot last time. I don't know what he has there. They're going to look down and go, I have ace two of hearts. I have none of this board. I am folding. Mm -hmm. The other play that they could conceivably think of is, I should raise, uh, because I think he's folding X percent of the hands, and my bet needs to work Y percent of the time. But coming from a guy who I highly doubt there's anyone who's trained or spoken with as many tournament players as I have or watched as much tournament poker I have, 
less than 2% of the population is thinking that way. And honestly, being two out of a hundred is being one out of fifty is being very generous. Think of how many people you see in your card room, Barry. A few hundred. How many of them do you think would look at a ten eight seven wet board and think of raising with ace deuce of hearts? Think of raising with pocket fours versus a C bat. Maximum probably two. Two or three. three. Yeah, exactly. It would be yeah. Like how many people? Like six of them. It would it would translate to about two percent, right, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's kind of how I think of poker, which is again like if a guy raises you there and he figures it out, like you know, slap him on the back, buy him a beer, good for him. He played real well. Like there's nothing you can do, but I'm gonna gamble that 98 percent of the field is not that good. So those numbers are very likely to hold up. Uh, we're always making predictions when we look at these. Now something I think you'll find very interesting, John Noel, is that board is very good to double barrel. Because let's say somebody calls there. Again, this is a condensed range. It's very likely they would raise their straights. It's very likely they'd raise their sets. Very likely they'd raise two pair. Uh, likely you would have heard from over pairs preflop. They'd likely would have three bets. So what's left? It's going to be 10x, 8x, 7x. Think of all the cards that those pairs are folding to. Uh, a, a turn nine is a good card for you because most like most of his combinations... 70-plus percent of his combinations will not contain a jack or a six. So you fire, uh, he's going to fold. Uh, a six, uh, not nearly as good because he probably calls you with more nines, but still a pretty good card to fold out all the tens, the eights, the sevens. Uh, a, a jack is a very good card. Also, if the if uh, there's like 35, 40 big blind stacks, and uh, you bet he calls. Well, we got to start asking ourselves. Most of our most of his flush draws here would be a pretty strong combo draw. Is he the type of guy, especially when the stacks are sh- even shorter than that, thirty x? Is he the type of guy that would raise those combo draws? And if that if that is the case, then he doesn't have the flush like literally eighty five ninety percent of the time when the flush draw hits. So I just I fire at those boards a lot. And I, you know, I get caught once in a while, and it looks really stupid when I get caught. But most of the time, I don't. And you, you don't even have to bet that big. Like, the draw completes on the turn, you bet half odds, everybody just auto-folds their pair. And if they're auto-folding their pairs, they're folding 60% of their range. Uh, that's definitely very fun. And betting big with the, betting big with draws there, I think, is a very powerful play. If you bet... Let's say you bet. Um, let's say you bet the size of the pot, or just a hair over, right? And that always looks like a huge bet. But if you know the guy doesn't have, or you know he has a very slim raising range, it's just the sets, it's just the two pairs, which is not a whole lot. So he's calling you with ninety-ish percent of his hands. Well, that means nine times out of 10, you get a free look at the turn, so your bet really doesn't need to work 50% of the time. Because another 18% of the time, you're, you're going to hit a really good hand on the turn. So that allows you to make very powerful bluffs with flush draws. Uh, that's a great board. If you bet that board and the guy calls, uh, that's also a great board to, let's say the turn's like the four hearts, the complete blank. Uh, a lot of times I overbet the turn, because I just look like a dumbass with a set of baits and a guy sitting there with King-10 off. You think about a guy, you imagine having King-10 on that 10-8-7 board and a guy bets half pot into you, you call, and then the turns the four hearts and the guy bets two times the size of the pot. And it looks like it's going to be an all-in on the river. A lot of times, I, I don't know about you, I'm not always calling there with the King-10. If I'm not calling with the King-10, I'm not calling with anything. Right now, the, the money—the way you're going to get more money is to bet half pot again on the turn and then jam the river if you think the guy can't call you with one pair. That's the way to get the maximum money. That also helps you balance really well. Uh, that also helps you balance really well with when you do have sets. So that's my preferred play in that situation. But it's and when you do have big hands, yeah, you can go with small bets. You can go with, go with bigger bets. Uh, but it, there's. Again, it's like a game of rock, paper, scissors, and you gotta, you do, it's very 
There's Game Theory Optimal, which is a very interesting form of study, but then there's also, you know, again, if the goalie is going to jump right 95% of the time, you're probably going to kick left. And you got to figure out which one of the which one is this guy as opposed to randomizing to right or left 50% of the time each. And what I find in the field is everybody, after a certain buy-in level, everybody gets really good at folding top pair by the river. Uh, even if they get, like, even if the turn is the four hearts, the river's the two hearts, and it has nothing to do with the board, if you jam and the guy has to table his hand, uh, live people really hate doing that. Uh, especially once the buy-in is anything substantial. Yeah, people get really good at folding. Now, below that buy-in level, which would be, I don't know, I guess $500 is high enough that the bluff's likelier to work than like a 250 Below that buy-in level, everybody's trying to pick off bluffs because that feels good, right? And people people are trying to feel good. So if you're playing like a $50 on ACR, you're very not likely to get them to muck by the river, right? And uh, if the draws miss, and if the draw hits, pretty much half the world folds on the turn. So betting again on the river might be a little bit much because the, or if you think the guy, I find people fold a lot more when the draws hit because people are really bad at slow playing, which is they make a flush on the turn unless it's the nut flush, they're raising to get it in because they're worried about the four flush coming in. They make the straight on the turn. They're raising on the turn because uh, they're worried about the flush coming in. So if they do call you again on the turn, that would be a board that's really socially kosher if a draw hit on the turn. And we can rule out enough of his really strong combos that I think it really is a great idea to triple barrel regardless of the buy on your end. Oh, this is giving you some ideas, uh, John Noel. Yeah, and I think it's important as well because it's something. It reminds me of something I from a few years ago with poker, and it's like just because you know something or you've been working on something in your game, don't assume that this guy that you're playing against is doing anything other than playing his right. cards or whatever. Because some people you know, especially if you're playing in the same local card rooms with a player pool, even ones that are maybe like an hour out of town, so it's a player pool of maybe two, three hundred players, like Alex said which is pretty standard, It's you get to know players' tendencies. And like Alex is saying in the goalkeeper analogy, some players who I've played against in the past and even recently, I know that 99 point... Actually, no, I'm not even going to give that caveat. <laughs> I'm going to say 100% of the time, I know exactly what they would not do in certain situations and what they would do, you know? And I could name players that I play with locally that will never ever go all in mm-hmm. with nothing. They they just won't do it. It's it's that type of player. They they will not do it. So and they won't call you with uh, anything short of the nuts or the second nuts. You know. So it's like certain situations. Don't just assume. I think that's what people. I remember Alex saying it to me, and it was actually like a trait of Scottish and Irish people, and uh, they would get so sort of like in their own heads of they'd level themselves of you know when it was three bet four bet this guy's doing this because he's you know and it was like a pissing contest almost uh for want of a better term and no the guy's got aces <laughs> you know it's like uh and it's like you've got to just be aware of like you can get in your own head too much can't you alex and you assume things that I know this, so like this guy's not. If, if I bet half up, and like Alex said, I, even if you took a survey after a hand, if you stopped it dead as soon as the dealer raked in a pot, in this day and age, I would, on a t- like nine handed or ten handed, if you went, okay, who can tell me the action of that hand, what happened, and what was in the pot, and what that guy ah. bet on the river or the turn, I would, I would really struggle to. I, I don't know why I'd set that line at these days with iPads and iPhones and people talking to friends and playing online at the same time on the Stars app and stuff. You know, I, I really don't know who, especially the people that weren't in the hand, who would be able to tell you the action, you know, and the bet amount. So I wouldn't worry too much about balance and that. Like that's just that's my a input. Damn on that. good point though, which is. 
Yeah, if you took a survey right at the end, what happened in that hand? What that guy showed out? I would, I, I bet dollars to donuts. Four out of five people aren't gonna, are, aren't gonna know what happened because yeah, they're on their iPads or on their cell phones. Yeah. So the thought I just had, Barry, poker's getting really good for the recreational consumer because the recreational consumer generally likes live poker over online because they they like the experience of going to the card room. It's getting worse for, like, the very serious professionals no longer can 16-table and make rake back, and, which was always pretty preposterous to think about, that the sites would pay the best players to take money from the fish, right? But I, mean, I know they did rake a lot, but there was sometimes it was, eh, giving that guy quite a bit of money right there. But it seems like the level of play has gotten worse in live poker. I remember when guys used to four bet or fold when I three bet them and they four bet a lot. And that was a good play against me because I was three bet goofing off a lot. And they sure as hell never mm-hmm. flatted me out of position, just check folded the flop and gave me eight big blinds. Now they all do that. And I'm sitting there going, this is the new age of poker. This is the guy who's supposed to take me out of the game. This one, this guy right here. You're telling me this kid. Okay. And it, well, in, uh, actually, it reminds me of when I was in, uh, Montreal. There, there was, a I was playing with, I, forgive me, Sam, if I got, if I got your surname wrong, but, uh, Samuel, Samuel Chartier. And he's, uh, he's an EPT final tableist. He's a bang up professional poker player. But he was, uh, you know, he's about, he's about my age and he's been playing cards for a long time and he's very present when he plays cards, right? And he he jokes with people to get ga- to gauge their emotions and stuff. And there was a kid next to him, clearly French-Canadian as well, and the kid was on his iPad the whole time. And anyway, I picked off a huge bluff from him, and I Sam started screaming at him afterward, right after the hand. And I, I just imagined him saying, you know why he did that? It's because you're not paying attention. It really seemed like he was saying to the kid. And this guy was like, he, he was, by the way, he was a fine poker player. He could play cards. But I, I just remember, I, I don't see the hunger from a lot of people. They're on their iPads. And it's, it seems like if you can learn just a few of the moves we're talking about here and the one outer podcast, like you can go up and have a fun time and win some money now if you're playing live. And I think that's, Wonderful, and I still think online is pretty good. Obviously, it's the, the tournaments are fantastic because everybody loves the tournament. Whereas cash games, you just you know you get skinned alive so many times in a night. You go, I'm not too into this anymore. Whereas you just have to win one tournament a year, and you go, Hey, I like these things. These are fun. So yeah, it's uh, damn, that's a good point, Barry. I bet. Well, in the old days, people did pay attention. I re- I remember. It was just part of going to the card room. They were going to pick your play apart. They were going to pick you alive. Apart. Uh, yeah, and it was... Yeah. I would play with these guys twice my age, and they would just mock you for everything you did, and they knew they didn't miss a the 70-year-old Filipino World War II veteran at the other end of the table. He didn't miss a trick. He might not have said anything, but he was paying attention. And, yeah, I think... Sorry, you're so right. They're they're just not present. They're not there. And I, I think this is a very exciting time to be a professional poker player. And everybody always says, oh, how much money I would give back to go to 2006 and play cards. What do you think players in 2045 are thinking about the games in 2018? Do you think they wouldn't... Mm-hmm. Do you think they wouldn't pay a million dollars to go back. Of course, with inflation being the way it is, a million dollars now buys you a pair of socks. But you don't think they would want to go back? They wouldn't pay to do that? today. It's a very exciting time to be alive, I must say, Mr. Chalmers. Yeah, the moment is now. Um, Alex, you mentioned that you had a Test Your Poker offer yes, pack, I think, um, at the start of the show. So if you want to maybe tell people about that and then where they can get private coaching and stuff, and we'll wrap up this last episode. Oh, Barry, you didn't get my email. There's no more private coaching. 
I did I did get that one, but I thought there was some slots uh, left. There are, but, you know. Left or something. Uh, I don't know. I got a bunch of people writing in, like, what are the rates? I said, it's on the sheet. It's in the email. Again, paying yeah, attention well, is underrated. Well, <laughs> you got... Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, God. Don't, don't get me started. Well, it's... Uh, the rates, asking for the rates is fine if I if you're not responding to that email, right? But, but uh, yeah, uh, anyhow, yeah. anywho, um, yeah, there might be a few spots when you check this out. We'll see. It's uh, really trying to wrap up the private lessons because there's just, uh, when I'm walking New York, everybody seems to be struggling with the same things they're talking about, and I, uh. I think I have a shot with this uh, webinar stuff, and I'm going to take it. Uh, that Speaking of which, Test Your Poker Super Pack is on sale now. That is normally to get both Test Your Poker 1 and 2. It's $350. It's not $99 right now. And as a bonus gift, I put together four new Test Your Poker videos. Uh, Test Your Poker Pre-Flop Raising. <clears throat> Excuse me. Test Your Poker 3-Betting. Test Your Poker 4-Betting and test your poker unorthodox plays. That's a free gift from me if you buy them uh, right now. And, uh, yeah, uh, by the time you hear this, there should be a free uh, test your poker episode on YouTube if you want to see how it works. There's already, uh, it'll be under Assassinato Coaching. You can just type ready to test your poker or uh, test your poker uh, tournament warfare is going to be the new one's name, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, just a little bit of a teaser trailer. But the way it works is I made a webinar called Master Poker with One Hour a Day, and people love that webinar because I essentially said, well, look at hands like this, and that'll help you test for that because you can solve for this. And then I got a lot of emails from people saying, hey, I love that webinar, but I don't even have the time to do that. What should I do? And I started making these tests, from my classes, and then I started, you know, being the capitalist I am, I said, hey, these are pretty good. I should sell these, right? But it's eight hours of question and answer, and then I show you the math. I explain my logic. You can either agree with it or not. Most people seem to really love it. It's a great warm-up. If you do five questions or 15 minutes every morning, every single day, Monday to Sunday, it's going to be over a month before you run out of new content. So it's a great value. It's like having me coach you for $10 an hour. And, yeah, you can uh, uh, you can see the flyer in the One Outer podcast, and you can uh, check out the product page. And, yeah, uh, check it out. It's, uh, it's my new – we're going to have a lot of sales going on now. This is going to be my new thing is the videos. Because uh don't mean to go over time here, Barry, but uh, a lot of people prefer the videos now. And I, I think that uh, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a change before people were really into personal lessons. But I have people like, where's the next video? Where's the next video? So what we're going to try to do is every week or two weeks, we're going to have a sale of something or we're going to have some new content. But it's usually going to cycle out and it's going to be another... You know, it's going to be six months or whatever, or maybe never, when something goes on sale again. So, yeah, do pick this up if you want to get 70% off, because, yeah, it was really frustrating to do, but with Master the Flop, it was on sale for 75%, and I had to turn some people away. It, it, it was on sale, instead of being 400 it was 99 for a couple of weeks. But, yeah, get on this sale, support Independent Poker. It's great to talk with all of you today. Write me at alex at if you have any questions. Uh, my To sign up for my newsletter, go to pokeredrush.com. That's kind of my fun little blog. And sign up for the newsletter if you want to get purely strategy content sent to you multiple times a week. Yeah, and I still read the newsletter. Um, I'm still waiting on the update <laughs> from Alex as he was doing for a few weeks. So I still read it. It goes into my inbox, and I do enjoy it, joking aside. I do always read it. Um, keep your questions coming in for future shows. Questions at com, and we will put them to Alex, and he will answer them. 
And as Alex mentioned, the deal for Tessia Poker 1 and Tessia Poker 2 plus the four free gifts, there will be details about it in the show notes of this podcast on the OneOuter.com podcast website, which is OneOuter.com. And there will be a link and stuff to, if you want to go and order that, how you can get to the page. Um, Alex, that's 2017 wrapped up as far as the podcast goes. We will see you next week in January. And I look forward to talking more poker, strategy, life and everything. And just thanks for spending the time on hour a week with me for the last year as well. It's been fun and it's good because I'm playing poker now as well. Um, it's, it is a lot better than our first uh, first few podcasts. Like I want to play poker, you want to play poker and um, it's good. Uh, all, all is good in the world. So... I hope you have a good new year, whatever you do. Try not to work too hard um, and do give yourself some time off to read your books or watch your... I don't know, they play baseball this time of year still? I'm watching <laughs> hockey now, that's my new thing. Hockey, yeah, okay, hockey. You know, baseball on ice, there you go, get the rights. You know. Okay, thanks for listening. Until next year... Still ends cheers. January 1st. <laughs> good. <laughs> All right, perfect. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.